0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Thursday, October the 21st, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God, and to continue to pray the Psalms with Psalm 140. And I love this time of time a time of uh, of going through the books where we take a step back and we pray, mainly because I'm not good at praying. And the Psalms give me the words that I can use, and the Lord used David to give us these words. And Psalm 140 uses a word that is often used for scripture, which is deliverance. And that deliverance, he shows us his protection, the destruction of evil, and all this is all too relevant for our lives today. So saints, let's start praying. The gifts are ready, ready for you. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have the joy of having back with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Pastor Tice, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Thank you very much. i glad to be able to participate today and you know all the details worked out after I mildly confused myself, but progress has
0: been made. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, we got on when we needed to get on. So thank you for that, Steve. Oh, reminder, I didn't yep. say this. Uh thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit LHFmissions.org for more information. LHFmissions.org. Pastor Tys, tell us what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Emmanuel.
1: Well, basically my uh Family situation, my wife and I are making preparations uh, to observe birthdays in the month of October. Three, four of our 10 grandchildren have birthdays in October. Mm. So we get get together with some of them. Uh, One of the children lives out in New Jersey. We were able to visit with that little girl earlier in October. Uh, And the other three all live in the metropolitan St. Louis area, so we'll be able to see them in close proximity to their birthdays. So that's, that's the family stuff going on for us. Um, the other minor detail is as the weather changes, my wife and I adjust our schedule and have to do some some uh, fixing up of things at our house and, and closing down some things that are open for the summer. And I'm reminded of you know, the passing of seasons and the passing of time. And there's, a, there's an old expression that you've heard before in Latin, tempus fugit. Mm-hmm. which literally comes out time is running. We, in English, we say time is flying. But if you want to be real consistent, time is a fugitive because it's running away from something, and that something is the end of the age. So Paul's uh, a reminder to me as we move into the autumn months that God promises that he's coming back. But as long as he's not back yet, summer and winter seed time and harvest won't fail, so the corn and the beans are coming off the fields right now. God's keeping His promise.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it is a beautiful time of year, as you're saying there, but also here in Minnesota. For us, um, and this is a little bit, we were ta- discussing this before the program, but tomorrow I'm going to be in Concordia, Missouri, in Missouri, um, visiting my daughter at St. Paul Lutheran High School, a place that you lived, where you went to high school as well. So um, anything I should try to to find, or is there any memento to Password Tice somewhere? So I'm coming up monument or anything.
1: There are no monuments. <laughs> I'm certain of that one. <laughs> but but if you look around and there are old pictures on the wall, I'll be in a few of those. But oh. uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit of hunting and searching. So other than that, um, a <laughs> bunch of people I know that live in that town. Uh, my my. Nephew's uh, wife is from Concordia, Missouri. The uh, Maddox family lives there, okay. and uh, so we have a, a niece-in-law by marriage. Uh, she's been in the family for a long time, so to us, she's been part of the family for over 15 years now. Um, so you know, we have we have ties through marriage to the people of Concordia as well. So that's a, a nice a nice memory for me to go there.
0: Absolutely, you are a Concordian. We'll say a Concordian. So. So, Pastor, as we join together today, as we search the Scriptures, can you begin our time in prayer?
1: Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, we rejoice that you have become our joy and our strength. Without you, we cannot survive. We cannot accomplish anything, and yet by your great grace and love, through the power of The Holy Spirit granted us in baptism, and the resurrection of Jesus that gives us a life that never ends. We are standing firm in you. In the midst of life's trials, challenges, and difficulties, we find in your word again and again, instruction and encouragement. We ask your encouragement for all those struggling now. We ask your presence and peace for those whose lives have been disrupted because of pandemic, or job changes, or schooling challenges, or simply changes in relationships or health. All of these changes come constantly in our life, but none of them is a surprise for you. Through your word and by your spirit, guide us to see that you are with us all the time, that in Jesus our Savior, we strongly endure. In Christ's name we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. If you have any questions for us as we look at the Psalms, uh, either Psalm 140 or any other Psalm, drop us an email, KFUO at KFUO.org, KFUO at KFUO.org. Pastor, to start our study this morning, um, I wanted to ask this question of you, is we've done the Psalms together before, so why are the Psalms important to the Christian? We we know they're there. Luther talked about it being basically its own Bible, um, but just wanted to hear from you why, as the Psalms, to sing it, to pray it, to, uh, to, to, to look at it, uh, why is it important for the Christian?
1: Well, there are several reasons, and, and one of them, of course, is that it is a, a, a book of poetry, which means it's going to present things in occasional meter or format that's not necessarily foreign to us, but it's not narrative, and so as we're reading through other parts of Scripture, we tend to follow a story. But in the Psalms, what we have is the reflections and thoughts of God's people, guided and instructed by the Holy Spirit, written down in a way that maybe helps us to get a a different perspective or a different grasp of a a biblical statement from elsewhere, or uh, the struggle of faith to to cope with the world around us. We know God is with us, and yet we still have these struggles. The other thing that's really useful I've discovered over the years from others, not my own discovery, um, is that the Psalms are very, very helpful for people who are struggling emotionally, spiritually, with something in their life. And, and I've used this suggestion for members of parishes I've served this past week. I've had this conversation with a couple of people that I'm um, able to... To communicate with and connect with when I serve as a vacancy pastor. And, and there's comments about waking up in the middle of the night or very early in the morning. And I said, you know, if you're awake and can't sleep, that's an excellent time to get out the Bible and start reading the Psalms and read them out loud mm. and let the Word of God touch your need as the Holy Spirit guides you. Because the people who wrote these Psalms often were struggling with exactly the same challenges we are. Different setting, but same emotional, relational, spiritual struggles. And and so the psalms are a great resource, as God teaches us in multiple modes in Scripture. And the psalms are poetry or psalms that's for music meant to be sung. It's another way of God's Word touching us at a moment we need to hear it in a new way. And, and the psalms have that function for us.
0: So, Pastor, as we think about that, that's a great, that's great advice for us as we look at the opportunities to use the Psalms is to look at it um, as when we do pray the Psalms, that we think of the people who wrote them, mainly David and others, that we do see and capture the emotions that they're feeling, and that idea of deliverance or of need of peace or comfort. And what a great advice that is that when you're struggling to sleep well, my goodness how many times in the psalms is it basically lord i'm struggling here help me and what better time to do that when we are um when tons of stuff is going through my mind when i'm trying to get some restful sleep so so pastor on that note i want to begin our time in prayer and that prayer is to pray the psalm itself so psalm 140 that I will read the psalm. I'll end with the Gloria Patri, giving glory to our triune God. And for you, our listeners, to remember that this is a time of prayer, which often throughout my day, I know, I struggle to pray. So here is the opportunity as the Lord gives us the right words. So a psalm of David to the choir master, Psalm 140. I will read. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net beside the way they have set snares for me. I say to the Lord, You are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my Lord, my strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire. Into miry pits no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent men speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Now, Pastor, as you look at Psalm 140, is there any background information that you found or interesting theories or uh, to the choir master? Obviously, this was for song as well. Anything that you found?
1: Well, we have, uh, this is one of those, to use a term that people may be familiar with and may not. It's, it's an impeccatory psalm in that, that it's aimed at those who are wicked toward the Lord's anointed and David is calling on God to punish them. And I think this is this is a key thought for us in particular. David is the Lord's anointed, and when the Lord gives him tasks to do, fighting Goliath, attacking the Philistines, whatever it might be, as the Lord's anointed, he goes out and carries forth the Lord's judgment on those whom he is sent to attack and destroy. But when others are attacking him, David is not fighting for himself in the sense of going to combat. And I remember as a child hearing the stories of of Jonathan and David and their close friendship and then Saul trying to kill David and hunting him down, David hiding in the cave. And one of those occasions, Saul is in the cave where David and his soldiers, his men, are hiding further back in the darkness, and he falls asleep. And the men say, oh, great, here's a time you can come out and kill your enemy. And David doesn't do that. He says, no, this is the Lord's anointed. I shall not harm him. God is the one who will protect me, so I don't need to kill him. And and we see in David this dependence on God's promise that he doesn't have to, David doesn't have to defend himself. Remember when he went and fought Goliath? The reason he attacks Goliath is because Goliath has insulted the name of Yahweh. That's why he fights him. There's has nothing to do with David personally. It's just David is, as the Lord's anointed, defending the name of God against an enemy who is slandering and belittling God. And now David says, they're slandering me, but now he's not asking God to let him do it. He's saying, God, you're in charge of this. You'll take care of it. So here we have, without defining who these individual enemies are, the same pattern we saw when David was hiding from or running away from Saul. Saul is seeking him, hunting him down a couple of different times. He's, you know, right there and never does David attack Saul. He always departs and lets the Lord handle Saul. And in the same way, in this particular psalm, he is asking God to deal with those who attack him, which, you know, not normally how most. North American, uh, particular U.S. citizens see things. We have this idea that we have rights and we have, uh, the ability to defend ourselves. And if somebody comes against us, you know, we can go get a lawyer or whatever we need to do. We don't have to take it. And David is not at all responding in the I don't have to take it mode. He's saying, I'm taking it, but I'm giving it to you, Lord. And so this is the nature of this particular psalm. And most of the impeccatory psalms is, God, go get him. Not, I'm going to get him. God will get him. So I, I just thought that was a key thought in David's mind as he's saying these things. God will do the, the work that needs to be done. David doesn't have to do it.
0: And this is an important reality for us because as Americans, we do have a tendency to say, well, I can protect myself. So I will fight evil in, in whatever way that we think that we are able to do this. But rarely will we pray Lord, take away that evil, like calling it out by name, calling this out. Um, and so it is an important reality for our prayer life that we can pray for the Lord to deliver us from evil, meaning that He takes away the evil. This goes back to the Lord's prayer. and and that is a that is a good reminder for us that, um, not only can we protect ourselves, but we can pray that the Lord would take away specific evils from our lives, which sometimes can be um, violent people from our lives as well. So I, I just think that's sure. an it's an aspect that I typically do not pray for, and He reminds us that we can today. Any other um, mm-hmm. introductory thoughts you have, Pastor?
1: Well, it's, um, as again, we, I mentioned earlier, we're looking at Hebrew poetry, and, and one of the things that we tend to do is. As, English speaking people is we tend to read them as verses and just work our way through, and that's okay. But one of the things I uh, was instructed by a, a scholar who's, you know, actually gifted in Hebrew as opposed to, you know, somebody like me who, who can read the stuff and look stuff up but not gifted in it. Um, the pattern that normally shows up in Hebrew poetry is that the main theme of the poetry and in the Psalms will be in the center verse, not the first or the last, but the center verse. So if you work from the, the front of the psalm all the way through the end, this particular psalm, as we divide it into verses in, in the, the translations we use, has 13 verses, or some of them call them stanzas. But if you go with, with the words and then go to the middle of those words, what would be verse number seven? There we find really the key, central theme of this particular psalm. And I think it's always helpful for us when we read another language translated into English to ask the question, what are the rules of that language when it comes to how they assemble or construct things? Uh, You know, the the use of of verbs, for instance. When I was very young, which is no longer the case, My wife and I were given a wedding present by some of my classmates in college. They bought us tickets to the premiere showing of the movie, Star Wars, subsequently renamed The New Hope. Um, But we went to that movie and there was this weird guy Yoda who puts his verbs at the end of the sentence, which is the way German is put together. I discovered later that when they translated the star wars movie into german they had yoda speak with his verb structure the way we speak in english to make him different from the german version of the movie
0: Uh anyway the point
1: the point being that that we get used to thinking in one language and it's helpful if there's another review of, of a different language that says take a glance at how these people put things together so when we do that we go to verse seven Um, And and what we find there is is the the real theme of this particular psalm, and I'm going to read it right now, but then we can go back and and pick up with with the beginning as well. O Yahweh Adonai, and that's God's name, Mm -hmm. and identifying him as the one who is my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle, and that's the key. David says the Lord is the strength of his salvation, and the Lord has got him covered. And I think immediately of Paul's reference in Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. Mm. You are the strength of my salvation, the helmet of salvation. You've covered my head. And, you know, the thing thing that's always true is that when Jesus is teaching and, and speaking, he is almost always referring to, if not literally quoting, something from the Old Testament section. And Paul, having been raised in the tradition of the Pharisees and an expert in, in the law of God, would have known the Psalms as well. So that when he uses that imagery from the Roman soldiers people are familiar with, he's also drawing from the Psalms. This is the salvation that is our strength that covers our head, protects us. Because evil wants to come down on our head. And and you go into a construction zone sometimes they say, you can't go any further unless you put a helmet on. Well, the Lord's covered us with a helmet. The strength of his salvation. And that that gives you and me this protection in time of evil. So, but just, again, going back to the idea that the center of the psalm is is the key theme for the whole psalm. And then pulling that to the New Testament, where again that same phrase, helmet of salvation, break to my salvation, covers my head. So the uh, the idea of head shows up several times in this psalm and I thought it was worth highlighting.
0: I really appreciate that because as we look at the psalms, we can easily kind of think, is, he, um, is David not stable? Because he'll start in a certain way and then he'll end in a certain way. And you're kind of wondering, why does he go through this back and forth but when you look at it well actually the key the, the interpretive key of the whole psalm is right in the middle which would be verse seven like you read "O lord my lord the strength of my salvation you have covered my head in the day of battle showing that god is his strength he is his salvation and he one the one that protects him so when he goes back and asks for deliverance he asks for this deliverance knowing that the lord is the one who who will indeed deliver him so that it, it, it is very helpful or else we can kind of get lost in the weeds of trying to determine a few things that really are not as important as the main point, which you brought to us in verse seven. Mm-hmm. So pastor, let's get to the Psalm at this time, knowing the interpretive key that the Lord is our strength and our salvation starting in verses one through three, uh, Psalm 140, the Psalm of David verses one through three. Deliver me O Lord from evil men preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually they make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps so pastor he he asked for deliverance and he must be surrounded by a lot of violence even to the point of calling them under their lips is venom almost like a a, a snake that's ready to to take over so what's your impression on these first three verses that David's going through?
1: Well, as, as he's looking at this, we see the the, the poetry aspect of, of the phrases, evil men, violent men, and then the tongue sharpest serpents on their lips, venom of ass. This, again, is poetry of uh, repeating and, and couplets or doubling chiasms, as we sometimes say in Hebrew. Um, but, but the thing that struck me as I was listening to this was his concern is about the plotting against him and using words as weapons. It's not so much that the men themselves are violent, but their coordinating or effort is being made to get others to gang up on David or to disrupt. And I think of the time when Solomon, I'm sorry, Absalom, was beginning to plot his rebellion and, and the realization that that this involved a group of men who were willing to say David needs to be deposed. This was a group of guys who were, for lack of a better label, ganging up on him mm. in a plot. And they were plotting evil and, and violent men who later would, in fact, attack and, and kill. And and so I look at, at that case as an example of where we know that the plotting and the evil speech is going on. But also, again, keeping in mind that David is a king. He is seeing and hearing things in ways that others may not, as he thinks about, His call, and then his son Solomon repeats this, to be a shepherd to the people of Israel, to be one who cares for the people of God protect them. So when he says these things, at least in my understanding, he's also reflecting the fact that he has an obligation and responsibility to protect all the people, not just himself. And those who plot evil against him are, at least by implication, Plotting harm against the people of God, and so he's he's moving beyond just the fact that they are plotting hard, evil in their hearts against him, which is there. They plan evil things, stir up wars continually. This could be the foreign enemies who are stirring up these wars, um, but one way or the other, they are always on the border of Israel or they disrupt Israel. And if you look at the history of David when he first becomes king, not all twelve tribes are following him. So you know there's a a recurring theme of of a need to build a unified nation under one leader. And, you know, it reminds me of what Jesus said when the disciples were concerned that, that uh, there was one who was casting out demons, and John says, and he isn't following us. And, and Jesus' response to that is, there's more than just you involved. There are other sheep that also must be part of this fold. And so David, is dealing with this need to unify a group that's not yet necessarily unified or enemies who want to destroy the unity that God has provided under one shepherd, under one king. Um, you know, this, the whole, whole theme of the kingship in Israel is always understood in this concept that they are actually prince regent and that God is king. And So when David is praying these things, he's also saying, God, you are under attack. And he doesn't use those words. But in the theology of, of the kings of of Israel, David is prince regent. God is the real king of the people. Samuel makes this clear when when he comes to God with his complaint that they want a king and they've rejected me. And God says, No, no, no. They rejected you. But let's do it this way. These guys can rule, but I'm still the the overall ruler of my people. So David is functioning in the capacity of one who sees. Tongue sharp as serpents under their lips, is the venom of ass. It's interesting to note that these are things that happen in the mind and in the heart before they move into action. Mm. So he's, he's talking about the evil being inside and coming out. Same thing Jesus says later out of the heart come evil thoughts, adultery, murder, all those things. And David's saying their hearts are plotting evil. So we see again that looking at the inside rather than just the outside is a big part of our spiritual uh, response to evil around us what's the heart like
0: and throughout the psalms there's a lot of uh psalm 21 though they plan evil against you though they devise mischief they will not succeed and and throughout there's this this common request not only keep me from evil but keep me from the plots of evil that Mm -hmm. surrounds us and that's just a a good a good reminder for us as well it's it, to me it's a lot much like you know lord help those who have covid but also keep covid from coming to your people and those are valid prayers for us not only of the the um the brokenness that can come to us but also prevent it from coming in the first place and we know the lord is gracious and our deliverer even though the venom can be that of a poisonous nature as he tells us in verse three anything else in those first three verses pastor
1: Well, I think uh, also to the extent that this has some messianic implications that the plotting in the heart against the Messiah, the anointed of the Lord. Literally, David is the anointed of the Lord. Jesus is the anointed of the Lord. This is a a theme or a term that, that recurs throughout the Old Testament, that the plotting is also against the Lord's anointed in Jesus' day when he's walking the earth it's the same idea. Satan and evil must always attack. Or to put it another way, the darkness cannot tolerate the light, so it attacks it. And it shows up in different points in history in different ways, but it's constant.
0: So right now we need to take our break, Pastor, as we continue to pray Psalm 140 with Pastor Stephen Tice, and we will be right back. and welcome back we are studying and even more so praying psalm 140 with pastor stephen tice and pastor as we've looked at this i've always had this question and i have never really gotten a good answer maybe you'll have a good answer for it is that throughout psalm 140 you have the word "sela" or "sela"? um right after verse mm-hmm. three right after verse five right after verse uh let's see eight and should i be reading that when i read the psalm um is that something i should include or not
1: i would say that the point of, of including it is to identify that it's there but we're not sure what it actually means right it could be instructions for musicians it could be a, a point where people now repeat a phrase you know we, we use in our liturgy in uh, lutheran communities today and other christian churches as well what we call an antiphon mm-hmm. or a response that's part of the repeated uh, recitation of or singing of a particular piece of music and and so when we think about it we don't know exactly what it means so to include it can be done but at the same time to leave it out doesn't hurt because we don't know what it means right. so sort to of repeat it we don't know what it means can be distracting
0: and that's where and yeah because i would say there's a number of questions that continually come up and this the selah question comes up all the time. And so that's where I probably just got in the habit of not putting it in there. So people stopped asking me why it was in there. Um, but it it is a, it is an interesting insertion that, uh, yeah, yeah. I I was kind of, I think I turned in my mind to treat it kind of like when you put parentheses and it describes something and I'm like, I'll just Mm -hmm. treat it like that and not even read it. So anyways, so that, that's just a question I wanted to get from an elder pastor and how he has practiced that. So let's continue on. Verses four through, five, 4 through 5. Guide me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net beside the way they have set snares for me. Now, Pastor, what strikes me right here is that I'm now starting to see more clearly this whole understanding of the plotting that's happening, plan to trip my feet, set up the snares for me, meaning they've they've laid this out so that something wrong would happen for me. This is very intentional. It's not like they happen to stumble on evil. They are plotting evil as well. And he's asking them to guard him and preserve him. So what are your thoughts on on this guarding and preserving?
1: Well, part of what... Part of what David is asking for is for the Lord to help him see where the snaps and and the traps and the snares and the nets are so that he can avoid them. I was uh, reading recently um, about a a soldier who had been on the uh, island of Luzon in Bataan during uh, World War II. And rather than join the surrendering group, he and several others asked permission, really, to to go off into the the jungle and and not be taken prisoner. And that's one of the things he did. And, and in this discussion, he was talking about a group of, of people indigenous to the Philippines that they were able eventually to connect with who live up in the mountains. And they, for their own protection and for food purposes, this particular group of people had developed what they call bear traps or um, what you and I would call a kind of a, a, a spring-loaded trap uh, with sharpened sticks etc so that they could catch the bears uh, the you know fun bears uh, in that part of the world and and use them a for protection so that they could run away from the bears and be use them for food and the thing is they they hit them in such a way that people not used to the jungle wouldn't even know they were there until it was too late and the trap got them and so part of what david is praying is that the lord helped him to see these snares and nets not just that they're out there. Um, you know, the, the psalm elsewhere tells us, the, the snare of the fowler shall not get us. And, and that's, that's a net shot out over top of birds so that when they fly up, they catch themselves in the netting and then and they can't fly any further. Part of what I believe David is asking here is that the Lord give him wisdom not to foolishly walk into one of these dangerous situations Thinking ahead of time, he can handle it. And, and, you know, the challenge of my pride that says, yeah, you you can cope with all this. I think to a certain extent, David is also saying, Lord, help me in humility to be delivered from these traps. and It's not because I see them, but because you protect me. And, you know, the arrogance has hidden a trap for me, and he's asking the Lord to keep him from being arrogant, too. So the, the whole understanding is trusting in God completely being a dependent on God to protect him, not just from the attacks, but also the plots. And otherwise, he wouldn't even see until it was too late.
0: Now, this is an interesting thought for me as we say that, is how would you describe how this prayer would relate to us today? We obviously see the Lord as our strength and salvation. He covers our head in battle, meaning, you know, the battle of the devil, the battle of evil, the battle of all of that. But any thoughts on on how this this plotting and everything else happens today?
1: Yeah, I think the, a couple of ways it happens. One is, there are those who spiritually want to ridicule or belittle our Christian faith. They uh, will attack it using the argument that it, it has no scientific basis, as if science is the proof of reality. You know, Science tests facts, but it you know, doesn't test truth. Um, and, and so recognizing that the arrogant men that phrase helps me think of those who say, well, if you believe in biblical teaching, you're a weak person and you need a crutch. Well, why is a crutch a bad thing? If you have a broken leg, you need a crutch, don't you? If you have a broken spirit or a broken spiritual life, you do need the crutch. And the arrogance says, I need no crutches. And so what, what God gives us now is this the humility to say, I need your protection from those who plot against me? And it can happen in, in social settings. It can happen in, uh, in interaction in our communities. You know, I think about some of the things going on in our, in our political realm today and the whole discussion around the issue of abortion, aborticide. Uh, those two things are not exactly the same. Spontaneous abortion is a medical procedure of a body. It can't carry a baby to term aborticide is a human intervention that cause this child to be expelled from the mother's body. And you know, sometimes we give up the, the whole argument before we start because we don't use the right term. But but the argument that it's, okay, it's, it's control of the body that matters. And then there are those right now who are asking the question, well, is if that's consistent logic, can we apply it in other settings? And we have to be careful that we don't get trapped into thinking now we can win because we can use their argument against them. We have to recognize that we are called to love people. And in doing that, we have to humble ourselves. And, and those, are, those attacks are out there. There's a real danger for, for me, mostly, anyone, I don't know about you, is, is to become arrogant myself and think, well, I understand this better than they do so I can explain it in ways that will confound them rather than trusting God to lead me to the right way to deal with it. And and so the, the attacks are there, and, and there are certain false religions out there attacking Christianity or claiming that, you know, Christianity is one of many in any way gets you to, to eternal life, which, again, sounds real nice, but it doesn't match what God tells us in Scripture.
0: And this reminds me of Psalm 141, which we went through yesterday with Pastor Sean Come is that... In verse three of one forty-one. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And that really goes with how you're talking about. We pray, Lord, preserve us in these things. And when we do have to address them with words, that we say the right words. Which I love how He talks about the door is the door of my lips, meaning shut the door mm-hmm, <laughs> before <yeah>. you talk. <laughs> shut the door. <laughs> so
1: take the key. Let- Lock it up and throw the key away, too. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Cover it up, you know, yeah. and, and that's yeah. just a good reminder for us. Thank you for um, bringing those important topics uh, to light as we look at evil that does surround us. And Lord, yeah. keep out the evil in our lives. So we'll continue on verses six through eight, six through eight. I say to the Lord, Yahweh, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Yahweh. O Lord Yahweh, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Yahweh, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. So, so let's start with verse 6. Is I say to the Lord, give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. He really, I mean, this is where um, he really lays out that he wants the Lord to listen to him. So, uh, describe that to me. That, that's something that always fascinates me about the Psalms, is that he pleads to the Lord, and you're kind of like, well, the Lord hears everything. Why are you telling him, mm-hmm. uh, listen to me? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, he's, he's expressing the, the depth of his dependence on God. Give ear to my cry, or my plea. The voice that I'm using, And and I think this is part of what's going on here, what I mentioned earlier. Speaking of the psalms out loud, David didn't write this psalm to be read silently. He actually wrote this to be said out loud, first and foremost for himself, but then as part of the people at worship. And so understanding that we use words and God hears our voices, God gave us voices so that we might call on him. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. So we literally call upon him, and then we say, Lord, keep your promise. Mm. You said you would listen to my voice. Now, Lord, keep the promise you've made. And and the voicing of the plea is, is an act of faith that says, I trust you'll, you'll hear and, and answer because you said you would. And I think this, that's always a, a statement of faith when he says give ear to the voice of my plea you are my god yeah just like you said i will be your god you'll be my people you're my god okay here it is i believe you i trust you help me out and and this was a you know a bold statement of faith in in a very real sense that we say to god you're my god hear my plea listen to my voice because that's what you as god have promised to do and the uh the Lord is the one he's turning to, and you know I say to Yahweh. And if you look at these three, three verses five, I'm sorry, six, seven, and eight, they all repeat the personal name of God. Yeah. They use each of the each of those verses repeats that name, and doing so is another way of identifying. I call on the God who made Himself known to us before we were brought out of Egypt. Uh, personal relationship with God is what's entailed or in, entailed in this phrase. Hear the voice of my plea for mercy.
0: And I imagine him writing this because of all the um, the evil that's surrounding him. Verse seven, that he might be praying, not necessarily with a strong, a confident voice, but maybe in despair. Oh, Lord, my Lord, you are my strength and my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. But it does not mean he's saying that with full confidence, beating his breast and telling everyone how much faith he has. He's probably saying it more of, Lord, have mercy upon me. I, I, I know that you are my Lord and my salvation. And I see this in, in my own life when I've visited the saints during difficulty. That I had one person tell me once, I'm really not happy with God. And him and I are not on a great speaking terms at this time. And, and I've seen that process with this certain individual for a few years of back and forth. And recently, that individual has come back to, to church and has taken communion for the first time, really, in a long, long time. And it's not because they lost faith, is that they are doing an imprecatory um, um, lament psalm in their life of, of, of exactly what David's doing. He knows that, and this person that I'm speaking of, knows that the Lord is his salvation. But yet, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that <laughs> right now I'm not real happy with you, Lord. And I think that is yeah. a very helpful yeah. lament, grief that we need to allow people to do. And 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 it really has been a witness to me of we are able to do that, and the Lord preserves us for that.
1: Yeah, and and the David's statement in verse eight: "Don't grant their desires and further their plot, or the wicked will be exalted." Yeah. And partly that. You know, it's a a challenge to David, but it's also, again, keeping in mind that the Lord is is the one to be exalted, not any human being. Uh, But, you know, we look at the world. I was thinking earlier when I was reading this about Habakkuk, and Habakkuk's statement, okay, I look around, Lord, and the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. What are you doing, God? Um, And then he says, I will wait and see what God will answer. His, His statement is, it doesn't make any sense to me I'll see what God has to say. And, and here David's kind of approaching that same theme. Don't let the wicked prosper because that gives them, um, well, I'll use the word street cred, um, in a way that, that disrupts the world around us. So.
0: so, Pastor, as we look at verses 6 through 8, uh, I want to keep moving forward. We, um, but any last thoughts? Because like you said, this is kind of the central theme of the book, Oh Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation. Um, any last thoughts you have about this central theme before I move on?
1: Well, I think, I think the, the central focus here is the strength of my salvation is that God is on my side. The strength is not that I can handle everything coming up, it's that God's going to handle it for me. And the the other side of that, talking with somebody earlier this week about this whole idea, of when is the day that the Lord says you don't need to fight anymore, you've crossed the finish line, welcome home. You know, our human intelligence wants to make that a particular moment when we're doing well and everything's going our way. And, you know, sometimes the Lord says, okay, fight's over now, come on home. And the people around us look at all the things going on and say, wow, that was a terrible way to die. And and the way to die is in faith in Jesus Christ. And as long as we have faith in Christ, when we die, we use the the term in Christian theology, we die a good death. No matter what the situation was with our finances or our relationships with the neighbors or how things were going at work, you know, people get stressed out, they get challenged, they go through really tough times. And in the midst of those tough times, when they haven't worked their way through it all yet, they die. And human nature says, oh, wow. You know they they didn't they didn't manage to settle things before they died, and the truth is the Lord settles it, and He is the strength of our salvation, not our own accomplishment. So every once in a while, you know, the Bible gets a hold of me and, and turns me around, and says you're looking at the wrong thing, and here David is saying, "You have covered my head in the day of battle. Don't grant what the evil wants, but you're still the strength of my salvation. No matter what you do with them,
0: I'm saved. So let's keep moving forward, as we know that the Lord is the one who keeps us safe, and he reveals that to us. We'll read verses 9 through 11. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent men speedily. So here he gets pretty explicit. He he is he is not asking for the Lord to protect him from evil, but to go after the evil ones. The burning coals will happen. I mean, he's not he's not being mm. particularly Minnesota nice in these verses. So what's happening?
1: No, no, this is this is a little bit more. Uh, to be careful, I don't insult anyone. A little bit more uh, coastal blunt. There you oh. go. <laughs> yeah. But but I think the key thought here is he's saying, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let them get what they are plotting for others. Give to them what they think others should be given. Let them experience it for themselves so that instead of the wicked prospering, and verse 11, let not the slanderer be established in the land. That phrase, be established, that's pretty much saying Get a, not just a foothold, but get a firm foundation. So so let them not be the ones who now stand. And and when that happens, then the others will all suffer once the wicked are established in the land. Once the slanderer is able to smear everybody. You know, I think about the challenges. You're familiar with the term yellow journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't realize that was back in the days when uh, Pulitzer was having a a uh, contest with with the other newspaper in New York City and one of them printed their newspaper on yellow paper and stuff, oh. and yellow journalism and stuff. anyway <laughs> but this idea that you could say anything you wanted back and forth as long as you were you know knocking the other eye down that became a standard in in publishing newspapers in in the United States at the turn of the 19th to 20th century and then there were standards that began to be applied like libel and slander, you could sue people for that. David's saying, Lord, don't ever let it get that far. Protect us from those things. Let burning coals fall upon them. You know, Jesus says the same thing. In so doing you will keep burning coals upon their heads. You know what what do you what do you do with burning coals on people's heads? Well, you know, kinda go straight through the scalp. it's a pretty severe pain but the uh, the whole idea of of fire that can't be escaped, raining fire from heaven. You know, the the hailstones and the sulfur fire that came down on several occasions, God sends fire from heaven. And and this is kind of what David's saying. saying, As you did in old, once again, bring judgment upon those who are doing evil to your people and to the the truth. Um, I think this understanding that you and I have been given as a part of our schooling, is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, you know, anyone who does not speak the truth opposes Jesus. Mm. And and to stand up for the truth isn't about a political position. It's about adhering to who the true God is and what He is, because God is truth and He's love, and and lies are from Satan. So anytime we we see that. The lie there we want it to be done away with because that's satan working his way in so when jesus talks about you know the you're a liar from the beginning and and are following your father the, the liar it goes back to the identity of god being truth, and a slanderer is by definition against god and so david once again is saying not the person but the proof that they're on God's, uh, op- they're opposing god needs to be dealt with as opposed to Get the person, get what they're doing so that it doesn't get established in the land. Instead, establish your word and your truth. And that's what we pray for, too, Mm -hmm. that the Lord's word would be established and and that his truth would enable us to continue to show others the light of God's love. And that's what we're after.
0: And I do, I think a prayer that I've heard from people is something along the lines of, Lord, that person, I give them to you and I'm going to let you deal with them. And, and mm-hmm. that's, dealt, that's, that's probably the Minnesota Knights version once again. Um, but it is asking, Lord, if there needs to be fire that comes down, we're going to leave that in your hands. Um, and that's one of the mm-hmm. powers of David's prayers. Like you said so well, that David was not one who went after Saul, um, but is one who patiently waited on the Lord. He had his chances, no doubt about it. I mean, there's a number of those times that he had the chance to take Saul down. And he trusted that the Lord would work it all out. And that's something that... Um, is, is a good witness to us as well. Pastor, anything else before we get to the last two verses? We have about five minutes left in our time.
1: Well, there's so just something that, that I was looking at and, and thinking about at the end of verse five when we were talking about the arrogant that have hidden a trap. And here we have the head of those around me, the mischief of their lips, let, the, let their own words get them. And, and the idea that an arrogant individual is the one who's going to Think that they can speak their way into a position that will give them an advantage but the thing that it says is that they have set snares beside the way for me they can't set them in the way and so as long as you and I are walking in the way of the Lord's truth the snares can't get us. and so the slanderer and the the Mischief of their lips is the attempt to get you and me to step out of the way of God's truth and then their snares or traps can get us. But as long as we maintain the truth of God's word as our source for what we're doing, then even though it may not be popular, you and I can be confident that we are walking in the Lord's way. I think this understanding, uh, let evil hunt down the violent man speedily, that's another way of saying let Satan get
0: them. Absolutely. So let's. That's pretty hard. That is. It, it really is. And that's where I have a hard time thinking about these prayers when I would use them. But I, well, first I pray I don't have to use it. But second of all, I yeah. pray for the wisdom when I do. So let's continue on 12 through 13 as we round out Psalm 140. I know that the Lord Yahweh will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. So a common theme in these Psalms is right at the end, he brings back the identity of the Lord and how he cares for his people. And how does he describe that in these verses, Pastor?
1: For the righteous, these are the ones who have faith in God. And the Lord maintains the cause of the afflicted on the cross. What does Jesus cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And He's doing that because, because of the afflicted, has always been maintained by God until God Himself takes our sin upon Himself, and He is afflicted with our judgment. And in so doing, the righteous now give thanks to the name of the one who saves them. Yahweh will maintain the cause of the afflicted, and he does it by allowing his son. God himself comes to be the one who takes the judgment that all of us deserve, and he instead releases us from the affliction. And the miracles of Jesus again and again were taking the afflicted and unafflicting them, taking those who are under the oppression of evil, Satan's uh, or other humans, and removing it. And in so doing, he was continually maintaining the cause of the afflicted and executing justice. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. His justice is mercy. Once Christ pays for sin, he brings us the relief we need. And that's his promise to you and me in the midst of whatever we're going through, whatever challenges any of us as Christians encounter. The promise of the Lord is that he will indeed execute justice for the needy in Christ Jesus. Not necessarily in the relationships with other people in the world, but through what Christ does for us, we always have this assurance. We give thanks to Yahweh because we will dwell with Him forever.
0: Pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri, bringing us God's strong word from Psalm 140. Pastor Tice, thank you for being our guest.
1: Thank you. God blessing with you
0: saints of our lord keep praying for the lord is our deliverer he's the one that preserves us he's the one that protects us and he is the one who will maintain us and execute justice all on account of christ we are able to say give ear to my prayers O lord for you are our strength and our salvation it's not only the middle of this psalm but it is the center of our life he gives us the strength for he has saved us in christ I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.